It's always necessary to personalize the atonement, isn't it? I don't know that anyone could ever truly be saved if at the point of their salvation they didn't feel like they were genuinely the chiefest of sinners. I don't know, when I got saved, I, I wasn't thinking about how bad Pastor Kent was. You know, we grew up as friends together, and when I got saved, I was so overwhelmed and so convicted with my own brokenness, even as a kid. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about how bad everybody else was. I was just messed up, and I needed Christ, and it was for me that he died. And uh, I know that those of you that have trusted the Lord have gone through the same, same thing. And it's wonderful to be released from the guilt of our sin, isn't it? in Jesus and, and to know him. Whew, what a relief. Uh, the burden of sin rolled away. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. For those of you who are new, we have Bibles to follow along with you. If you don't have one on your device or maybe you uh, forgot one in the car or at home, uh, our sirs are ready to give you a Bible to follow along with. If you need one, just slip up your hand. They'll find you. Uh, it's our habit here, if you're a guest, to go through one book of the Bible at a time. There's 66 of them. Uh, we've gone through most of them, and right now we're in a particular part of the Bible that's called wisdom literature. Wisdom literature. And God gives for us uh, various timeless principles and truths uh, that are evident here uh, to help us walk through life. So in chapter 4, we went through some very hard but necessary things in relationship to wisdom's address to oppression and competition and isolation and position. You can go back and do a keyword search on our website for Ecclesiastes or one of these words, and that sermon will come up if you want to catch up to where we have come from. But oppression, competition, isolation, and position what's life like in this world really is described for us in chapter 4. Um, and now that we've discussed what life's like in this world or what it can be, now we're going to move to chapter 5 and a very helpful, um, nice deep breath after coming out of those tall weeds of chapter 4 and we're going to discuss adoration. Adoration. We're going to move from oppression and competition and isolation and position and discuss adoration. And I think here the flow of Solomon's wisdom is very much on purpose. For God desires for us to know his will while we're living through the difficulties of this broken world. He wants us to know how to be refreshed when we come to worship him. And he certainly doesn't want us to endure through this old world six days a week and then gather together on Sunday and to uh, endure through on a Sunday oppression, competition, isolation, and a achievement for position. Could you imagine if we dragged Monday through Friday into Sundays? Right? That would uh, be the opposite of what it means to rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. This is the Lord's day. It's a day in God's weekly calendar that's set apart for exclusive attention to him and a change of pace for us. 
This is a day where we're pulled out of, really, chapter 4. And we're placed together to be refreshed, to be encouraged. And Solomon's going to give us some wisdom here, particularly in three different ways, three different aspects of wisdom here, uh, that we can follow to make sure that when we do come together, that we will be refreshed and encouraged. There's a lot of things in my life that have distracted me during the week or maybe even on a Lord's Day morning, a Sunday morning, from having a heart prepared to worship. I'll tell you what, if I don't sleep well on a Saturday night and I skip breakfast, it's tough for me to be ready for church. Are you like that? That's just part of our humanity, I think. Uh, I slept really well last night, but I'm living on one cup of coffee right now. So guess what Pastor Tim had to do this morning, right? Because he didn't, uh, didn't have breakfast, right? I got to discipline my mind more to focus on being prepared to be refreshed among God's people. Right? Don't feel bad for me. It's my fault. But nonetheless, poor sleep and imbalanced nutrition can affect us. I'll tell you what, have you, ever, have you ever struggled with your approach to a Lord's Day because you look back over your shoulder and there's maybe one of the other six days a week or maybe two or maybe three where you didn't you didn't walk with the Lord as intimately as you would have liked to? Have you ever wondered how in the world can I present myself to God individually and then together with the family of God when I myself haven't been walking with God? Like I should. That can be, that which can be a roadblock in our preparation of our hearts for worship. Maybe you have a broken fellowship with someone that lives underneath your roof. Maybe you're personally over, overcome with a personal or family medical matter. I know uh, Jim Knapp's here this morning, and you folks know we've been praying for him as he gets ready to have his valve replacement surgery and getting a CAT scan, getting prepped for that. You know, they find, you know, what they think to be curable stomach cancer that spread to his liver. So without the CAT scan to get him ready for his valve replacement, they don't find this. But Jim's here this morning. He's in his middle 80s, I believe, and uh, how much does it take for Jim to get prepared to come and to worship with all those things going on uh, just in the, in the last uh, 48 to 72 hours here in his life? So those medical things can become quite a distraction. Uh, maybe there's someone in the church that, boy, you just wish you could get along with and you've tried and, and maybe they've given you the stiff arm and uh, it's tough for you because you know what Matthew 6 says, right? You know that the Bible says how, uh, how can you bring your gift to the altar if your brother has aught against you. And that, boy, that, how in the world can I worship if I'm not right with God and, and right with each one of his saints? Those are some of the things that have been stumbling blocks to proper heart preparation for worship in my life. But for some, I've learned over the years that these also can distract us from proper heart preparation. Some continue to fight um, an addiction to alcohol or to drug. You're, you're broken, fallen, part of your nature. Um, you've been born again, 
and it's still uh, something maybe you walked away from by God's grace for six months and all of a sudden one night you fell back into it and you're like, how in the world can this happen? I thought I was saved, you know? And that's hard. Some of you may be enduring through a failing marriage and how can I come and worship with people that seem to have the perfect marriage everywhere I look around and and Satan will use that kind of thinking to distract you from worshiping with integrity and uh, maybe some in your church past you know maybe not necessarily this church but from another church someone's someone's wounded you and as I've told you before that Charles Spurgeon said you can shear sheep often but you can only skin them once and you were skinned alive in your church before and it's hard for you even to get to church let alone have a heart prepared to hear from the Lord and to be encouraged by his people so you're just basically still coming just so you can heal you don't feel like you can ever get back to that point that you once enjoyed some of you in the past have said I'm so financially broken I how in the world can the Lord accept my worship when I've made so many silly financial decisions in my life and, and um, my financial issues continue to be chronic problems and I can't even give the way I'd like to give to the Lord because of my silly decisions, our unwise decisions. How can I worship? There's so many others uh, like these things that have kept us from wondering if we even can worship, let alone should. A handful of attendees to church, in your experience, in my experience, um, do come regularly. And it seems like they're worshiping with integrity. But they're pretty much coming to make sure that their personal agenda among the flock is achieved. They're trying to do maybe a right thing the wrong way and they have a really poor attitude. There are some that come regularly that sow discord among their brethren and seek to have a voice that sets them apart from the family of God so they're seen and like we said the last couple of weeks, it becomes more about me than we, right? Some might have felt in the past that really no one can do my gift like I can do my spiritual gift and I've been hampered, I've been, I've been kept from uh, doing what I feel God wants me to do. And My wife comes from a background where there were a handful of individuals that because they gave so much money to the church, they actually felt like they should be the deciding body for major church decisions only. And some people, I give so much that I control and these are people that come faithfully and, and certainly unwisely. Some people would say, well, I'm not going to worship the Lord by giving. I'm going to come consistently. I'm not going to worship the Lord because I don't believe in it. And I'm really good, but I'm not going to give at all, or I'm not going to give what I can until everyone else gets with the game and starts giving what they can. And There's a lot of eyes in those last couple sentences, isn't there? <laughs> So there's some more passive things in our lives that can 
prohibit more sensitive hearts from having a heart prepared to worship. And there's some, obviously, some very aggressive aspects here. Um, and Solomon, in his wisdom, is going to address both. He's going to address the tender-hearted worshiper here, and he's going to address the worshiper who seeks to do so with no integrity. And the wisdom will help all of us uh, for sure. Let's read the text together, okay? Uh, we're going to look at the first six verses here, first seven, excuse me, and um, we'll continue. Join me in verse one of Ecclesiastes chapter five. Guard your steps. In our modern language, it just simply means watch where you're walking. Watch your next step. As you go to the house of God and draw near to listen, rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words, there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. Fear God. Solomon knew what it meant to be out of fellowship as a distracted worshiper, didn't he? You go back through those three sections mentioned here that we just detailed for you, and Solomon would have spent the majority of his existence being an ungodly worshiper, just going through the motions while he enjoyed all that we just discussed in chapter 4, really. So now as he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, having gotten right with the Lord, endured the chastening of the Lord, responded to it, he writes and he says, hey, it's, it's going to be better for you to worship this way. And you can write in the cross-reference of your Bible here, in the margin of your Bible, excuse me, uh, these passages, Isaiah 1 and Amos 5 and Psalm 50. All warn the Old Testament believer, and even us today, that to approach worship with unconfessed wrong in our lives right, is to worship with no integrity. Right? It's to just go through the motions. Apparently, it's possible to do this. I've told you my tendency. We've discussed a few heavier matters of potential distractions to having a prepared heart for worship. And we've even considered Again, Solomon's worship while living in sin. So which category do you find yourself? Knowing you as a flock, uh, as well as I possibly can, 
I think you all do quite a handsome job at preparing your hearts for worship. I would, I would imagine that the majority of us uh, would find ourselves in that first list that I personally went through uh, of those more minor things that become stumbling blocks to our heart preparation for worship. But maybe I don't know all of you as I should or as I could, and, and, and maybe there are some pretty uh, graphic things in your lives that are wrong that, that need to be dealt with this morning, and maybe uh, Solomon would, would help us do that as he gives us this wisdom on how to approach worship wisely. Okay. We all understand that we're not God, right? That's easy. He's unchanging. God does not react to anything or anyone outside of himself. He just is. And with him, there's no shadow of turning. There's no slumbering or sleeping. He just is all of his attributes with infinite and divine consistency. And we're not that. <laughs> but yet we're called to worship him. But we know our New Testament, right? We're called to worship him in Christ. In Christ. And we're only able to worship him because I am his and he is mine. Because we are in Christ. The Bible would teach us very, very clearly in the New Testament especially that only those who are in Christ can worship. Everyone else just goes to church and calls it worship. True worship is only received by God in Jesus Christ. We are the broken ones who might flinch and cower and hurt and rebel and regret or react, but that's not our God. We, we are inconsistent in our fallen natures, but yet we are all called to worship our immutable God. So as you know, we're not living in Old Testament times, and since Christ has become the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sin of the world, there's no more need for sacrifice of animals. Study Hebrews 10 in your own time for the temporary atonement for sin because the Lamb of God has come. And when you come to know him, the final Lamb sac sacrifice for sin, the ultimate Lamb sacrifice for sin, then God has given you access to his presence personally in Jesus Christ, and then we have access to his presence corporately where two or three are gathered together in his name. He's there with us in our midst. So in this dispensation, in this age we call the church, our spiritual sacrifices are apparent and obvious when we read the scriptures. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we find out that it's not just Sundays that we worship. We live worship-filled lives. <laughs> we walk with the Lord worshiping daily. Romans chapter 15 would tell us in verse 16 that, that even when we win someone else to Christ, that's an act of worship. We are savers of life unto life, the scriptures also tell us in 2 Corinthians. Colossians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 5 very clearly tell us that the songs upon our lips as we minister to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, that, that's an act of worship. The same context in Colossians 3, as we allow the word of God to, to dwell in us richly uh, together, that's an act of worship. 
It's very clear that when we give Philippians 4, Galatians 5, 1 Timothy 5, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, as we mentioned at the beginning of the service, when we give back to God that which is his and we give back to his purposes, which are great commission purposes, that's, a, that's an act of worship. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 to 16 tell us that our, our good works among one another are acts of praise to our God. And Hebrews 10, the same, as we entice one another to love and to good deeds. These are spiritual acts of worship. These are things that we all seek to do with integrity, and Solomon's going to give us some things here to settle our hearts, comfort our hearts, ensure our hearts, <laughs> direct our hearts, to make sure that, that we are coming together, many as one, uh, prepared to fear God and worship him together. So, first of all, I'd like to break this passage up into three simple sections. There is a preparation to pursue. Certainly we want to come with prepared hearts. There's a preparation to pursue. Uh, number two, there's a deception to be avoided. A deception to be avoided. And we'll uh, consider that carefully in our text this morning. And finally, there's integrity to be experienced. Integrity to be experienced. The preparation is quite simple. Have you ever come home from a hard day work and in a difficult moment in your day and been confronted by someone in your home that has an emotional need that you need to care for and realizing in your mind that that's the last thing that you really feel or can even address? So you just say, you know what? I'm going to come back to it in a couple minutes. I just need some time away. <laughs> I need to go back out in the backyard. I need to sit down. I need to have a few uh, long draws of fresh air. I need to relax. I need to collect my thoughts. And then I need to come back to you and talk to you. Have you ever had that? Um, honestly, the first line here of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is pretty much telling us to do that in our approach to worship. We're coming out of the fray of chapter 4, remember? Oppression, competition, isolation, achievement for position. What do you have to do on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning before you come and experience adoration? Chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Sometimes you just have to pull away. So you know what? I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do this with a proper mindset and take, until I take a spiritual deep breath and I say, whew. I've got to get my mind and my heart prepared to offer these spiritual acts of praise uh, with integrity. And that's where Solomon says here, watch your next step. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. So the assumption is here that this is just where faithful people go on a regular basis. They go to the house of God. So the pre-assumption is this, that you need to go to that house prepared. You need to go to that house prepared. Okay. A friend of mine once said that worship is the highest activity of the church, and it must always be approached with clean hands and pure hearts. 
Would you go with me to Psalm 24? Hold your finger here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and let's look at Psalm 24 together. And this certainly isn't the only text that we have that addresses um, our approach to worship, but I will tell you this is, uh, among other psalms, considered to be, some would agree, some would disagree, what we call an ascent psalm. Uh, on their annual trek to Zion, Jerusalem, the Jews would ascend to the city to worship as a national family. And these songs would be what they would sing to prepare their minds and their heart to, to worship in Jerusalem together with integrity. And, and David says here in verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. So throughout all of Scripture, we're given clear directives on how to prepare our hearts for worship and hear wisdom principles on how to do the same. And Psalm 24 is just one of those texts. So go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and, and what do we learn? We need to prepare our hearts to listen before we speak. We need to prepare our hearts to listen, verse 1, rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. That phrase, the sacrifice of fools, we're going to deal with in our second point. But before we get there, it's very clear here that we are to draw near to listen. The text tells us that there's actually a messenger that we're to listen to. It's a, it's a messenger that's approached later in the text in relationship to someone who is un, uh, has an unfulfilled vow. But the assumption is here that there's, there's, a, there's a person there to declare the message of God's word. And, and we are to prepare our hearts to, to listen long before we speak. Uh, hold your finger here again and go over with me to James chapter 1 and verse 25. What does this look like really in just one text among others in the New Testament church? James chapter 1 and verse 25. You know 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Uh, Paul's telling Timothy there, as he pastored the church of Ephesus, you need to preach the word of God. You need to do so uh, when it's popular and when it's not. You just need to preach, <laughs> right? Um, James says here in verse 25, but whoso looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's a synonym for the Bible, for those of you who are younger Christians. Whoever looks intently into the whole Bible and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So it's very clear that we approach worship with a mindset to hear. And we hear from the Word of God as it's publicly taught or proclaimed here 
and as it's publicly sung. The assumption here is every soul is involved with the hearing right, and the applying and the doing together of the Word of God. Prepare to listen. Go back to Ephesians, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. You may have underlined it already in your Bible, but this emphasis on listening rather than speaking is here several times. There's something in this wisdom literature here that is really, really uh, emphasizing uh, our desire to come here for what God has for me, for me. That really is a primary agenda, if there is to be any agenda, when we gather together to worship. Lord, what would you, as I come to give myself to you, all of myself to you, because you're worthy as my creator and my savior, what would you have from your word for me? Let's listen together. And folks, quite frankly, we just live in an increasingly noisy world, don't we? The noises from so many varied places and resources and sources. Um, there can be a, a millennia of noises that, that invade your ears <laughs> on any given moment of any day, any given day, and it's just quite frankly loud out there. It's loud out there. It's physically loud, it's spiritually loud. And what Solomon's saying here is when we come to worship, if everybody's listening, there's not much noise. We used to have family meetings, right, in our home. And those only came at emotional necessary times, right? What do you do? A lot of noise in the house. There's a skirmish going on upstairs in the bedroom. There's a fight going on in the basement. Mom's crying, right? Sister's sitting out in the car afraid to come in and show dad her report card, right? It's a Christian home. What's with all the noise? Dad's had a bad day. I stunk in the basketball game the night before. It's just bad. Dad walks in and says, uh, you shut up, you be quiet, I love you, get your rear end out of the car, everyone get into the living room, we're having a meeting, and you're going to be there in three minutes, right? Sit down and do what? Be quiet and do what? Just listen, just listen. Have you ever noticed that when you have the opportunity to just sit down on a morning before you enter the noise of the world, how that just prepares your heart to face the noise? You can remember back to those mornings where you haven't had that opportunity and you faced the noise of the world and it was a whole lot more difficult. I think Solomon's saying here collectively that same truth personally. If we're missing this opportunity to just sit and listen to him, to his word, we don't navigate the noise very wisely at all. As a matter of fact, the noise will consume us. 
The noise will begin to control the narrative of our life. Instead of being faithful hearers and faithful doers and being blessed by God. You know, folks, it's okay if worship isn't noisy. Solomon says here, come and adore on bended knee. Watch your step. Watch your step. The world's noisy. What would Satan love to make the worship of God's people? He would love to make it noisy, wouldn't he? He says, just come and listen. Right? Remember, the text says, you're on earth. The Father's in heaven. Settle down. It's going to be okay. Let's sit. Let's just listen. This is preparation. What's a deception to be avoided as we crescendo to our conclusion this morning? Did you ever hear someone say in your lifetime, I'm just not going to go to church anymore because there's just a bunch of hypocrites there? Right? That's a popular thing. I'm just not going to go to church anymore because, or I'm just not going to go to church anymore because, I'm not going to go to church morning because, and those evaluations are never really about themselves. They're really always about others. <laughs> and so Solomon's saying here, look, when you approach worship, it really has nothing to do with others and has everything to do with you. You draw the circle around your heart and you make sure you come to ready to listen to what God has for you and don't worry about everyone else. God's called you to worship and he's worthy of worship because he created you. He recreated you in Jesus Christ. And if you're the only one to show up to worship, you're going to do it because he's worthy of it. Right? Certainly among the people that have either called themselves people of God, whether they were or not, there has always been some blight. Right? We're broken human beings. In Christ Jesus, we're healed. Right? And we're given access to worship to God personally and collectively. But Solomon does say here, even in the environment of God's elect nation, Israel, in the Old Testament, and then Paul points out in various texts we'll look at here in just a little bit, that even there, there can be a sacrifice of fools. There can be those who worship foolishly. The word sacrifice is synonymous with worship. They worship foolishly, even among those who worship faithfully and, and with integrity. We know that David said in Psalm 66, 18, we've already uh, looked at another text in relationship to that earlier, or at least we mentioned them in Isaiah and Amos and Psalms, but if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord what? The Lord won't hear me. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 12 to 23, if we had time to read that together, we would. You can mark that down and read it on your own. This little famous phrase in there, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams, for rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Right? Draw the circle around your own heart. Forget about everybody else in the room. How's your heart? Is there any threat of disobedience? Uh, it's better for you to have your heart right before you come and offer the sacrifice of worship. You know Matthew 5, 23 and 24, don't you? 
In the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus Christ said, now you be very, very careful. Don't bring your gift to the altar if you have something against your brother. Get that right first, and then come and worship. What does Paul tell the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 11? You're approaching the table of the Lord, which is an act of worship, and you're doing so, and your hearts aren't right with one another and with your God, and, and let's repent of your pride and your selfishness, and let's approach this table in a worthy fashion. You remember Ananias and Sapphira, don't you, in Acts? They brought a sacrifice of fools. They worshipped foolishly. They lost their lives over it. The sacrifice of fools is going through the motions of worship when your heart just simply isn't right with God, personally. And Solomon says here, look, there is a deception to be avoided. It would be wise for you to get your heart right and go worship. The wisdom is not. Human wisdom would say this. I'm not right with God. I can't go worship because I'm not right with God. God's wisdom is right. Get right with God and go worship. That's wisdom. That's what the text says. As you go, you need to be prepared. You need to not be living a life of deception. So when you do show up, right, you don't have to go through the motions and fake it, as it were. It's a whole lot better to go to church with a prepared heart, not a deceived heart. You really understand what it means to hear from heaven as you listen, right? So there's an integrity here that is to be achieved and it's very, very clear here in verses 2 and 3 and verses 4 through 6. Don't be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring it up the matter in the presence of God. I personally believe that this is in reference to prayer, your personal and public prayer together. This is obviously word and thought brought to the presence of God. So we're going to discuss some things about what it means to worship with integrity in prayer and integrity to be achieved in prayer. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, men ought always to pray so that they don't give way to temptation. In a context of worship, in 1 Thessalonians 5, we're told that we are to pray without ceasing. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, we're taught that we are to relieve our hearts of anxiety and burdens and cast those on the Lord, not be anxious for any one thing in the context of prayer. Colossians 4, in the context of prayer, verses 2 through 6, we're taught to pray for those in our community that we love who need Jesus, whom we love. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 3, multiple times in Pauline literature, we're taught to pray for the health and the spiritual maturity and growth of our family members and our church family members. In Acts chapter 4, we're taught to pray for the plight of other believers, and we do that often. In Matthew 26, in times of looming and imminent tragedy, we, like our Lord, are glad to get on our knees when we find it difficult to walk. And just like Daniel did three times a day in captivity, we bow our knee before the Father and we express our dependency upon him. So we don't want to be hasty in our words or impulsive in thought. 
to bring up a matter into the presence of God. And you know what? You're really not going to do that if you're coming with a prepared heart. A prepared heart is a careful heart. A prepared heart is a discerning heart. A prepared heart is a heart that's governed by the truth of God's word. Right? A prepared heart that's governed by the truth of God's word is going to be a heart that knows how to pray. Okay. Knowing how to pray apart from understanding and living the truth of God's word is actually quite impossible. <laughs> Something that grows together. And so if we're coming carefully and expectantly, we certainly will prayerfully offer our praise to the Lord and our worship to the Lord with integrity. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7, make sure that when you pray, your prayers aren't full of vain repetitions and, and you know, empty words, Right? Psalm 141, verses 1 and 2, gives us discernment in how to approach prayer and worship wisely. Don't ever forget what Jesus said in Matthew 12, verses 34 to 37. The mouth speaks what the heart contains. Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, said, It is better to have a heart without words than to have words without a heart. Solomon goes on to say a dream comes through much effort. Basically what he's saying here, someone who works really, really hard is going to sleep really, really well and probably have sweet dreams, but the voice of a fool comes through many words. The idea here is this, por this, this morsel of wisdom is this, that often people who offer the sacrifice of praise, the fool, are probably pretty lazy people when it comes to their walk with God and their participation in the body. Okay. The voice of a fool comes through many words. I heard a, pa a favorite pastor of mine uh, say this not long ago, um, that, you know, when our public prayers outnumber our private prayers, we're pretty hopeless. When we talk about worship here, I know the context is public worship, corporate worship in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, but I found it personally true uh, that when you are prayed up on a regular basis, you're prepared up to gather together with the body to, to worship with integrity. Solomon reminds us, the same author of Ecclesiastes in Proverbs 29.20 says, Do you see a man hasty with his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Your spirituality is not determined by the length of your prayer, but in its sincerity, born out of a prepared heart, a pure heart. Prayer is just talking to God. And as Jonathan Edwards, the father of the first great awakening in our country, once said, it is natural for a Christian to pray as it is for a newborn baby to breathe. We know 1 Peter Chapter 3 and verse 12 is very clear that the Lord is open to the prayers of his righteous ones. So praying in the Spirit, as mentioned in Ephesians 6, is simply a dialogue with our God that's ongoing when we're being governed by the Spirit. People have always asked me, what does praying in the Spirit mean? That's all it means. 
When you're governed by the Spirit and you pray, you're praying in the Spirit. You're praying governed by the Spirit of God with a prepared heart, a healthy heart, a heart that's growing in its pursuit of Christ-likeness. So, so yes, there's an integrity to be achieved in the way we pray. And secondly, there's an integrity to be achieved as we close in relationship to promises. In relationship to promise and promises. God did not require promises from his people to be accepted by him. Solomon says here, look, if you're going to make a vow, make sure you keep it. It's better to not make a promise to God than to make it and not be able to keep it or to make it and never have any plans on keeping that vow. That's foolish. That's foolish. And it's never good to go to the messenger of God and say, hey, look, I made this promise to God. I can't keep it. So, hey, will he forgive me? We all need to remember God never asked us to make him any promises. He just asked us to live by his promises. So Solomon's saying here, be careful because in the words, many words of a fool, you can make an emotional statement that you could possibly later regret. God's existence is never conditional to ours, remember? Solomon warns about these two types of prayers that are, that are wrong, and we want to achieve what it means to understand uh, integrity in relationship to promises. And so, so be super careful. So many stories abound in this regard. Uh, conditional statements that we make. Lord, if you heal my mom, then I'll start going to church. Or if you grant me a good score on this test, then I promise to tell my parents I love them, you know. If you get me this scholarship, then I'll make sure that, you know. Lord, oh, this job. Give me this job, and I promise I'll start tithing or giving sacrificially, whatever you want to call it. Maybe we've fallen prey to this unwise practice before, and I would say if all of us were to be honest and raise our hands, the room might be full of raised hands. Just remember, God never called you to make promises, only to live by his. If you've made a vow, pay it. If you can't, confess it as sin and move on. We need to achieve integrity in relationship to prayer and to promises. Verse 6, again, what does God say as we close to promises you've made at the hearing of his word from a preacher or messenger? And folks, I just have to say, uh, verse 6 says, don't let your speech cause you to sin. It was a mistake. Can I just share this with you real quickly as we close? Right. Um, uh, Bible invitations after sermons are not biblical. I can't call them wrong. But you just can't find them in the Bible. Many of us were reared with an invitation to walk an aisle or to make a promise to God or a decision after a sermon, right? I just want you to think about that in relationship to what Solomon's saying here. I can't tell you how much I struggle with my walk with God, even as a teenager, because I got jazzed about what I heard in a sermon. I got convicted, and certainly I wanted to go live for God. And so if you're going to say no to this sin, and you're going to walk this way for God, then you raise your hand and come forward and declare it to everybody. Don't pay that vow. Don't pay that vow. Don't make that vow, because then you have to pay that vow. 
Every single one. I cannot tell you I was successful with one. Every single invitation I answered. Every single aisle I walked. I made a public vow. And I screwed up. Even to the point of doubting my salvation for years of my life. Certainly, if this, then I can't. Uh. And Solomon's saying, look, you've got the living word of God in you. You've got the spirit of God governing you. And you've got the word of God before you. And you've got the saints of God around you. Stop making promises and live by his. Just live by his. We've all stumbled in that way. But always remember God's grace to forgive us and to pick us up and to move on. And just, just with more wisdom this time. <laughs> with a whole lot more wisdom. It is amazing just to follow Scripture and let it speak for itself, to discern what approaching wisdom and worshiping with wisdom truly is. So I would just ask you as a church body, and I think, I think again, the majority of you just do a tremendous job preparing your hearts for worship. So I would, I would encourage you just to increase more and more. If there's something in your heart that you know that is, uh, is just rebellion against God, uh, let, let's move away from the sacrifice of the foolish. And let's just deal with it. Right? Deal with it. With Jesus in you, the Spirit of God governing you, the Word of God before you, and the saints of God around you. That's all you need to move forward and to walk and to, to please God. Okay? Don't ever forget Romans 12, 1 and 2, as we mentioned earlier that worship is a lifestyle for the genuine believer. Long before we step in and do this together, we're doing this six days a week individually. If you continue to maintenance that as best you can, heart preparation for public worship is going to become much more simple. Right? And worship is going to be so much more effectual and helpful in your life as we come in this fashion. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for the simplicity of your word. We thank you for these timeless principles. Uh, help us to always know as best we can in our lives what it means to pursue a proper preparation and to avoid deception and to achieve integrity consistently in our worship before you. That the Lord's day just might be always one of joy and rejoicing and refreshment and help and encouragement as we prepare to go out into the oppression and competition and isolation and push for position in our culture. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.